I'm Alyssa. I'm Alyssa. I'm not Alyssa. I'm not Alyssa. And I am not Alyssa. And this is 52 Women, the official podcast of the Montgomery County, Maryland chapter of the National Organization for Women. And tonight we have our friends from Hollywood Now on the line. Um, so do you guys want to go ahead and introduce your, introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm John Erickson. I'm the president of Hollywood Now. I'm Sarah Ivey, and I'm the new membership coordinator for Hollywood Now. Thank you guys for coming. We're so excited to talk to you. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, Having us. We're excited. Yeah, so we we want to um, just kind of lay it out for everybody who's listening that we um, want to hear everything that Hollywood Now is doing and any upcoming stuff that they're working on and then maybe get into um, some of the issues that have been coming out around Me Too and around... Um, uh, well, now it's so it's bi-coastal. We're in California and Washington, where it seems to be the two hubs of um, of women are coming out around politicians and and men in Hollywood um, with these stories of sexual assault, sexual harassment, and rape. And and we want to get um, your take on it. So, uh, would you guys talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to and and what big things you're working on? Yeah, that'd be awesome. So thank you so much for having us. Um, so we have been working very uh, diligently on creating a very um, open Me Too, um, but sexual harassment, sexual violence prevention campaign out here in Hollywood. Um, we called for the Academy to um, take away Harvey Weinstein's membership pretty, pretty much right away. And I've been, we're following that, and you know, we're following also a lot of stuff going on in our legislature here in California because it's a very democratic state. But as we said um, at the Me Too Survivors March, which we um, co-sponsored this past Sunday on Hollywood Boulevard, right um, outside Grauman Theater, um, you know, sexual assault knows no political affiliation, and I think we're really seeing that today with Al Franken um, and how people have been really calling for an investigation across the board and it's, it's quite alarming um because i'm really scared that this momentum might die down but that's our job i think here at hollywood now is to keep the pressure on so that's one thing we're really working on with national now and you know we're, we're very involved with the new york chapter of now as well and bringing that kind of into a bi-coastal campaign for how we can be voices for survivors um, we're doing a production of the Vagina Monologues again in February. Last year, we sold out a, a show and raised over $1,000 for Planned Parenthood Los Angeles, so we'll be doing that. Um, we're working on the Women's March Los Angeles again, which is just a tiny little gathering of, you know, women and allies, uh, you know, rabble-rousing like we like to do out here in Los Angeles. And um, co-sponsoring and sponsoring a bunch of local programs with, you know, our affiliates from NCJW, that's the National Council of Jewish Women Los Angeles, to other um, groups and nonprofits, you know, so we're, we're very active. And, you know, also then being involved in legislation up in Sacramento and sponsoring and supporting that. So we're a, we're a strong little group. <laughs> yeah. So I, all of that sounds amazing. And I'm super excited that the vagina monologues is still a thing. I saw it in New York, like, really so long ago. Aw, it's great. It's perfect. Last year was 
So do you guys sponsor it or do you are you in it? So we actually do everything. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Yeah, so we um, last year uh, I don't know what was going through my mind. I was one of the organizers of the Women's March Los Angeles last year. Yeah. And the day after the march we had our first vagina monologue tap uh, table read. So I Oh I my gosh. That day. Um so I was a little tired, but it was it was all uh, amazing because we were all coming off of this high because everyone that was at the table read was obviously at the march the day before. So we knew everything from production to logistics to sponsorship to advice to campaigning to obtaining the rights. Um, we're really fortunate out here um, to have a lot of supportive groups. So the city of West Hollywood um, it actually is uh, sponsoring the event, and so they are a big fiscal sponsor. So it allows us to really put on a great show without having to, you know, burden a lot of nonprofits that are already stretched really thin. So, you know, we really try to do it um, the best that we can. And, you know, that's actually where I, I think I met Sarah, my uh, the membership officer. So, you know, it's uh, bringing everyone and coming together in a really powerful community. So, Sarah, when you're, when you're, um, trying to get members in, in Hollywood, where, where are you guys seeing the most uptick in membership since November? Is it like people getting into the social events or are people more interested in legislation? So right now where we're seeing the most movement for Hollywood now is the events that we're doing. We are doing so much in the community that our actual monthly meetings, we don't see a lot of attendance. We don't see a lot of new membership. However, like at the, you know, the Women's March brought in, I think, a ton of people to the, it's actually my first meeting was after the Women's March. It's like, okay, I have to do more than this, I just can't march. So yeah. showed up at now, met John, and have been steadily involved since then. But it comes, most of our movement comes from the events that we do. Hmm, Okay. I, I want to ask you, I, 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 we talked about this when we had our pre-call, and I'd be remiss not to ask about um, John being a guy and running now and I in, in Hollywood, running the chapter, and also um, having just been appointed to the Women's Commission of California. So I, I just wanted to hear from, actually from both of you, if you wouldn't mind. Like, I want to hear from John what made you want to get involved and, and be the head of... Um, your chapter of now as a man and from Sarah just like wondering how that goes with um, with male leadership um, as a woman as a member of the group I think it's so interesting I mean I think it's cool and interesting and I don't know um, I this is a random thing about me but I was just archiving stuff at national now and in the past there have been male um, leaders of chapters, and I didn't realize. Are. Yeah, but I didn't realize that till I was archiving. Like yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing till I was archiving. And then when we found out that you were, when I found out that you were the chapter of Hollywood, uh, excuse me, the president of the Hollywood Now chapter, and also that you're on the Women's Commission of California, I just, I think it's interesting, and I want to know why and like what perspective you bring. And I'd just love to hear from Sarah about being a woman in a group where a guy is is uh, leading, a leading a woman's group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah, do you want to go first, or what do you want? To, how do you want to tackle uh, this? Question? You want to go first, and then I can. Sure. Hello. So I think this is a really critical conversation we need to have um, in today's uh, world, right? We're we're 
another and what rights are being slowly stripped away from one, you know, slowly drip into the almost next. So I, I'm openly gay and I identify that way. And and I always say that I, I'm a feminist and I was raised right. <laughs> so basically that's kind of how I really approach my life and kind of all the work that I do. Um, but mostly what I, I do and care so much about feminism is because I really um, had strong matriarchal women in my family and leaders that just inspired me to always ask, always question, always really um, try to be that change you wanted to see in the world and build collaborations and work together and coalition build. So um, I really took that to heart. And when I was mad, um, and then I took a women's lit class. I don't know what it was. And I remember going to my mom when I told her I had completely my major to a PhD. To, I wanted to be a, a PhD in women's studies. Uh, I, I changed my degree to women's studies, and she was, like, astonished, but she was so proud. Mm. And she was, like, it was almost like I've been waiting for you to say this to me. So <laughs> women's activism, my grandmother was one of the first female staff sergeant in the U.S. military. She was That's the first cool. female commander of Veterans of Foreign Wars in Wisconsin. From So she was probably my biggest influence in my life. So that's why I always say it was raised right. So women leaders and aspiring to, you know, in their shadows because it brought so much to me and inspired me. You know, I think that if we're not having daily conversations about women's reproductive rights and health care or, you know, accessibility to affordable housing, homelessness and how it affects women, electing more women leaders, getting them appointed to boards and commissions, I think we're really missing out on that to have. And, and you know, I hate, I, I don't like saying that, like, I'm the leader of a, of a of, you know, of a feminist group because I believe in collaboration and that's how I kind of try to lead the chapter. I don't want to be the sole voice, you know, work by community and coalition. And, you know, I, I, I really just believe that we need to create a world where I have two beautiful nieces that I don't want growing up in a world where they can't be everything they can be or feel like they can't ever achieve their dreams. And if I can put my body, you know, in that physical space, you know, outside of, you know, the feminist arena or within other spaces to, you know, promote the advancement of women or empowering women or empowering women's rights and, and making those daily conversations extremely poignant, then I, I really... You know, feel like I'm not serving my family right because I want my nieces and nephews. My, I want my nieces and nephews. I have two nephews as well. You know, to grow up thinking that nothing's gonna stop them. And so that's kind of why I do what I do. And I care about you know really making tangible change locally, thinking locally, and acting globally. So um, that's kind of really got involved in this. And you know, I'm really passionate about it. And you know, I really always say that men in feminism have to listen. 99% of the time, and, you know, and, and that's really hard for some men, um, and we need to make sure that we're being an ally in, in 99% of the ways, because this is the feminist movement, this isn't a man's movement, um, and, I, and I'm really, really strict on that, because I don't want to ever be seen as co-opting the voices of women in a, in a traditional feminist and women's space. So, we actually talked about this yesterday at our board meeting about um, the reason it came up is I recently went to an event with a, another organization, feminist organization, and the president of that 
had a lot of questions. And I could tell Les felt feeling very uneasy about it. Um, and for me as a membership coordinator, it is coming up when we talk about the group. And women's questions are, well, why? But then those same women often don't return or don't become members. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with that, right? There's intersectionalism and all these different things that come into play. However, as a chapter, we are very open to members coming in and doing, you know, taking over the position. John said last night, you know, I am more than happy to step aside, but we have to build our chapter first. And that's kind of where we are right now. I mean... I think that, so Sarah, I'm really, oops, sorry about that. We drink while we do this too. Um, <laughs> so I'm really happy you said that because I, <laughs> I was wine glass. Because <laughs> my question was, um, and John, I, I don't want you to take any offense to this, but we've talked before about um, we have a lot of male leaders in the world. And we've said before you know, we'd like some of those male leaders and EB2 pointed out, we were talking about our old Senator from Maryland. Who's an old white guy. Like maybe it's time for him to step aside and like elevate a woman to power. But we talked, he's a great guy. He's a good, he's a good Senator. He's a great Senator, but he's an old white guy and he's been in there for a long time. So, you know, hopefully and when, he's an old white cisgender straight yeah, guy. Fair yeah. Enough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were like, oh, maybe he should start thinking of, like, mentoring a woman. So it's nice to hear that your chapter is so open and and intersectional. And the thoughts are, like, let's build a solid base. And then, John, you know, you're so double thumbs up for me. I'm really happy to just hear that. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> as long as we're as long as we're on this, can I uh, – I don't know if Sarah I, – I don't know how you felt today, but, like, we – we like did our, um, we were recording before you guys came on <laughs> and we were like, Al fucking Franken, are you kidding me? Like, fuck all men. Men are fuck trash. Men. <laughs> we got really mad. And like, and so like, but we said we're about to talk to a really nice man yeah. <laughs> who cares about women and wants to do good things. Yeah. just a whole bunch of people just ah. left NPR. Yeah. yeah. We have to change it. We have to involve them. And if someone like John who understands it and is an ally and understands how important it is to listen 99% of the time is stepping up, mm -hmm. it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I agree. And actually, John, I just wanted to ask you, since you um, said that you live life as an openly as a gay man, do you think there's like... I mean, I don't know. I'm actually asking this. <laughs> um, do you I know think... your question, and I already, I think my answer is yes, but let me... <laughs> okay. Do you, do you think there's a different role for gay men than, like, straight cisgender guys in terms of protecting women in this situation? So, 
I so that's a great question. Thank but, you. So I I do I do really agree with Rose McGowan in what she said. I think it was like a year and a half ago that there's a lot of rampant misogyny in the gay male community, hmm. and that they do not really understand women's lives, women's reproductive freedom, how closely they are tied to LGBT rights. You know, when you talk about personal bodily autonomy, like at a mm-hmm. policy Supreme Court level, because they're tied together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that's one one thing that would make it almost be like, oh, we should be natural allies. I should be coming to the Planned Parenthood rally as much as you should be coming to the marriage equality rally, right? And yeah. that, that disconnect is really exists. You get some people that do get it and do understand, and I think that um, it's, it's really powerful for gay men to be feminists. Um, and I think in regards to, you know, cisgender, you know, straight men, this is a really interesting debate because when I, and I still do attend the National Women's Studies Association Convention, um, there was, you know, a lot of straight male professors, right, that taught women's studies. But their work was always on, like, anti-violence work, men as anti-violence. Um, advocates, right? And I was like, well, aren't you just, like, upholding, like, a feminist agenda? Like, isn't yeah. it already feminist to be, like, anti-violence against women? Why are you calling it, like, anti-violence work? Just call yourself doing feminist work. <laughs> like, we always got into these debates because I felt like they didn't want to call themselves feminists. I don't know. It was really weird where here I am, and I'm like, no, I'm like, here's my feminist agenda, and it's loud and proud, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I think it's really interesting because I feel like straight cisgendered men are still, or even maybe more so uncomfortable, although they might agree with everything in principle of identifying as feminist because um, they may feel like really not welcome within the community because they're men, right? I think gay men might see themselves as a part of the feminist agenda because it, I hopefully, you know, they do understand how they, they play together. Um, so maybe that's kind of the difference. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I, that's really, I'm really interested in this. So I'm glad you answered that for me. Thank you. Sorry. And, uh, Alyssa and I bring our husbands to several now events <laughs> to get them on board. <laughs> yeah. I think they're on board. Yeah. They just don't understand. So I like, that's where I see, I don't know, like, I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but that's why I love intersectional, the top, all the talk about intersectional feminism when it comes to not just race, but sexual orientation and and gender identity and all these things because like I can make a straight cisgender man understand that I'm afraid in a dark parking lot or that like I can I can explain situations where being a woman might make me feel different or whatever but they don't he does my white cisgender straight husband does not know what it feels like to be marginalized no and like we My husband and I had this conversation, I don't know, a few weeks ago when we were driving because we were listening to um, a podcast that I hate listening to. Um, They were talking about Me Too and how it's voyeuristic and they don't get the point and how it's like you're looking for validation. And I was telling my husband, like, I'm not looking for validation. Like, I know what happened to me. I know when my friends say this happened to them, I know what happened. The point is that none of you all get how widespread this is. And that's the that's not the first step, but it's one of the steps to stopping this. Like where you like, it's gotta be on you too, where you see this and you've got to say like, stop. Yeah. 
where it probably doesn't make you feel nice to realize that your wife, when she was 20 years old, had to pull her friends off a path train because some guy pulled his dick out. Like, yeah. And we all have more than one story like yeah, that. For like, sure. so just because we don't talk about it with you, don't mean it won't happen. Right. But so, what happened? You guys just did a Me Too event. What happened? Tell us about it. John spoke at it, right, John? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was extremely powerful. So it was a all day. It was a day of marching. Um, there was a feminist majority foundation event that took place. That was called Take Back the Workplace. And a lot of people thought that was the Me Too Survivors March, but it was. It was, it was they all were the same basic talking point, right? There's a lot of marching going on. <laughs> and so, but then afterwards, there was on this I think, uh, a march called the Me Too Survivors March put on, um, and it was extremely powerful. It was right on Hollywood Boulevard, right by the Grauman Theater, across from where Jimmy Kimmel tapes. So just think about optics um, mm-hmm. there alone, um, and you know it from voices of survivors, advocates, allies, um, groups that were really working in that space. The original, um, you know, founder of the Me Too March, uh, Me Too uh, hashtag, and her name is just slipping me and it feels awful. So um, uh, I'm going to figure it out. Um, uh, and so we really, people share their stories um, and it was extremely powerful it was, um, it, it was, you know, because doing it in such a space like that, in such a public open area, um, to come out there and tell someone that you were raped and sexually assaulted, you kind of took back that power. Um, and the individual's name was Toronto Burke. Sorry, just came back to me. But she that was there, she spoke about it. And, you know, we talked about how these issues were intersectional, right? It didn't matter race, class you know, orientation, you know, sexual harassment and assault impact us all, and we all need to stand up, we all need to say me too, and we all need to hold the, the, um, these individuals accountable, and, you know, it was, and I spoke, and I basically was encouraging people to run for elected office, make these changes, hold these elected officials accountable, um, and that, you know, sexual assault really does know, know political affiliation as we really saw today um, with Al Franken's news and that, you know, even where we were on the Walk of Fame, there was Brett Ratner, Mm, uh, Kevin Spacey, and Donald Trump. Their stars were all right by each other on the march. um, Somebody actually wrote Rapist Pig on Brett Ratner. Wow. Didn't somebody put a wall around Donald Trump's at one point? I think they did that a few times. doing something to his stars. Um, so let me ask you guys, and I, I, I both, I just, both of you, do you personally believe that there's any apology that let's, let's leave out Harvey Weinstein and but like Al Franken, let's say, or his Republican counterpart, not, not, not a, not as Democrats or as progressives or anything, but just in general, is there an apology that's enough? Did a Republican apologize? No. But okay. I'm just saying, I don't want it to seem like I'm just singling out Al Franken because he's a Democrat. Just any, I mean, is there an apology that's enough to you? I don't know. I grapple uh, with this question in my own mind all the time, and, and I'm not sure that I have an answer. Part of me wants to say yes, and the other part of me wants to 
you know, it just seems like the only time there's an apology is when they're caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is it really authentic about that, that you're trying to save yourself? You didn't care about the victim. Yeah. So it's, it's hard for me to answer that question. I don't think that at this point in my life I have a, a true yes or a true no. I think every situation is different. And, like, you know, I, one thing that really came about at the march for me personally, um, aside with, you know, having people share the stories, is I really, I went up to the speakers and I said, really, thank you for sharing your story. You know, I have never been a victim of, of sexual assault. And, you know, I'm, you know, that, it, I, 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 and to hear people who have been so impacted by it or personally victimized by it and, you know, the repercussions that that causes, I mean, it's a waterfall effect with how people are more prone to drug use, to suicidal thoughts, to depression. I mean, when these things aren't really addressed because we, we, we live in a culture that doesn't provide, one, the resources for survivors that maybe haven't come up publicly to get the, you know, the help that they need um, to tackle this issue or to even hold their account, their, um, you know, these individuals accountable. I mean, I think the stat is, like, out of 100 people, like, 90% of these people go free yeah. um, because, you know, they, the system is purposely bent towards, you know, making the, making the, um, the person accusing the other person to prove that they were attacked, raped, um, harassed. And a lot of these people that they're accusing have so much money. They have so much power. Um, and, you know, the, the, you know, I think we've only hit the iceberg, you know, and, I think for me as a feminist ally and as a man, it's really, you know, made me also think about how when I, you know, how do I engage in consent, right? Like, because consent for any sexual act is mandatory. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like people, you know, and so I've really gone back and be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a really, I'm in a long-term relationship, but, you know, how is the act of consent in our relationship, right? Yeah. So, and luckily I'm, I'm living a good life because, you know, I would never do anything like that, but, you know, I think that that's been powerful for me to go, uh, you know, something, what is it about that I was able to understand, like, no, right? Like, yeah. no means no. And yeah. it's that I fucking mean, simple. And, <laughs> according to the National Sexual, Sexual Assault Hotline, I mean, out of every thousand rapes, 994 perpetrators will walk free. That's yeah. actually on our Hollywood Now um, website. Mm. Well, and I, and I, yeah, and I, I think this whole Me Too thing has brought up a lot. I don't know, like, I, I don't know about you guys or that, but like, I've been, I mean, we've talked about on the pod before, the three of us, like, I, twice in my life, I've been followed by guys masturbating. And if you had asked me before this, have you ever been sexually assaulted? I'm pretty sure I would have said no. Yeah. And there, and then like now that Me Too happens, there have been dicey. I mean, not just those, but other. I'm not. I don't share them right now, but like other dicey things that have happened. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's dicey, well, but it's not sexual assault. And now that people are saying, I'm like, oh my god, yes, it's fucking sexual assault when a guy stalks you down the street, masturbating, and yeah. tries to talk to you, and you have to like duck in and find help. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we talked about that that article that was on Deadspin. The woman who mm-hmm. was went back and like reevaluated like all those situations in her life where she was like. I just kind of okayed them away. Yeah, it was just kind of all in a day for her as a woman. Yeah, just like, yep, this is waking up, using the metro, there's a penis. Like, yeah. You know. 
So I just wanted to, I, I, I really wanted to hear about you guys and the, and the Me Too stuff just because it's been, and I mean, obviously we're having our share of it here in D.C. And today was a dark day. We're working really hard. You know, we are going to be working with, you know, the New York Now chapter has a thing called Heal Me Too. Uh-huh. Say Heal Me Too. You know, we are going to be implementing that, you know, over here in Los Angeles. We are <coughs> updating our website to create local, like a one-stop shop for all resources here in Southern California that, you know, victims and survivors can go to. You know, we want to, you know, and I, we want to make a solemn pledge to individuals that come to our chapter that if you have a story to tell, we will get it out there. We will connect you with Gloria Allred herself and, Hmm. you know, hold these individuals accountable. And, you know, we're very fascinated in the Democratic as well as Republican legislature in California that has been, that, you know, news is coming out of, well, drip, drip, drip. But just before we got on the phone, a third person um, is accusing Senator, uh, Assemblymember Mendoza, who's an assembly member out here, right? And, you know, we need to make sure that these people that report in the California legislature feel safe and that they're going to go into some vacuum like they were before. Um, and how these deals aren't made, you know, in the back room, NDAs that at the expense of victims and Senator Connie Leva here, who is an amazing advocate for women and girls and survivors, who was at the Take Back the Workplace March and um, successfully passed the legislation um, last year that we were a part of that overturned the statute of limitations on rape in California, um, is going to be introducing legislation this next cycle in January, and we're really going to be actively involved in making sure that gets signed, making sure that gets pushed, because we need to hold the powerful accountable. And if not, we need to replace them with people that will do the job. Yeah. So who do you guys like out there? Um, just just out of curiosity, who do you guys, who, who are your favorite California politicians who we should be well, looking for? Councilmember Lindsay, Councilmember Lindsay Horvath on the West Hollywood City Council okay. is um, uh, our chapter president, uh, well, I have a chapter founder. Um, when she, before she was elected to office, she is an amazing advocate and ally for everything that the chapter does, but on her own as well. She sponsors, puts out legislation, does programming, examines these policies. I'm so proud to call her a friend, but she is my favorite politician. Um, <laughs> I'm a little biased, but, you know, we, we have a plethora of people out here that, you know, it's so hard just to pick one. Because we do have a lot of people that show up to events that really want to be engaged on these issues. So, I mean, I'm just going to say Lindsay for right now and, you know, really leave it at that. But, I mean, I'm sure Sarah has her own, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, Nancy Klaus, you know, she's getting so much slack right now. And to right now, she has a special place in my heart because I do not believe that she would be getting the same criticism for her age. Yeah. If she were yeah. a man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that as a woman right now, I'm, you know, I'm definitely following all of her Facebook posts and all those different things and, and supporting her and liking them because I think it's just, it's troubling to me that when a woman gets to a certain age, it's like, 
Oh, you're definitely outdated. But, you know, we, we, well, we didn't, but other people elected Trump. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. So old. Yeah. So old. <laughs> and, and just gross. Yeah. And, it, and he shows signs of his age, like, constantly. Yep. And I, and it is no, no secret that I adore Joe Biden. And I know there's issues with Joe Biden. I know. He is also old. And I saw several headlines today like, oh, Joe Biden could beat Trump. Like, no, no, no. no. Old man. Let yeah. him, let him, no. <laughs> Just no. It's more like the George Bush thing when he apologized for, you know, patting the woman's rear end. Yeah. And I think the BuzzFeed news alert came up on my phone when it said that. Like, George Bush apologizes for, quote, unquote, patting a woman's rear end in, like, 1990-something. Yeah, the, the uh, one, this... This is And this is the one that came out today, right? Where she was like, people keep saying, oh, he was an old man in a wheelchair. She's like, no, this happened when he was president. Exactly. Yeah, and he, yeah exactly. And so it's like, why is, you know, he should apologize for You know, we, we're, I think, finally peeling off this layer of like, and we need to break through, you know, that, I think, glass ceiling, you know, not to, you know, work on a tired metaphor, right? Because I, I, I can't hear breaking the glass ceiling anymore because I'm still traumatized. <laughs> But, you know, but, like, we need to keep pushing, and, you know, we need to keep, as these news stories come out, post about them, write a letter, attend a march, you know, if, you know, if you want, like, we saw, you know, a week ago with the Virginia elections and all over, like, people are winning, you know, we are turning a tide here, so we really need to capitalize on this, because 2018 is going to be here, you know, in however many days, it's already November. Do you think that anything, or what do you think is going to change now that all these people are having to apologize? Because, like, apologies aren't really going to make any difference because they don't face any consequences as of right now. Um, So what do you think going forward we we should be doing, or what do you think will make the change where this doesn't, this isn't such a rampant problem? I mean, in Hollywood, I think people are seeing consequences, thankfully. Shows are being pulled. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. You know, things like that. But I think in our government, we need a change. We need an overhaul. I can't recall the name of, maybe you guys know the name of the commission that I think is the 90s was, was put forth that just basically has told women, you know, it's going to take too long and you'll run your career and... You really want to go through with this. Trevor Noah was talking, I saw a video with Trevor Noah talking about like the process that's the federal law where you have to go through, if you're, the woman has to go through 30 days of counseling and then there's a cooling off period and then she can file a complaint. But if it takes longer than 180 days, it's too late. Oh, so is, do they just like cut and paste like their abortion policy and make it also the reporting sexual assault Apparently. (laughs) Well, look at that. They're consistent when it comes yeah, to Yeah, they really like waiting periods for Jesus women. Yeah. Not guns, women. <laughs> um, I had a good question. Oh, so... Was... answer your question about like the apology real quick. So I, yeah. I answer that. Like, I actually don't think there is a, a good enough apology. Um, I was, when I was, uh, I'm up early in the morning now because I have a different job, so, and I'm not a morning person, so it's really funny. But, um, <laughs> You could totally tell that when the news broke, like, he was really, he 
had no idea this was coming because he, I guarantee you, he wrote that first statement. Like, he wrote that first statement. Yeah. Um, outside of his communications team. Because there's no way any, and being in politics and legislation like I am on my day job, there's no way anyone would ever let that statement, his first statement, come out. And then his second statement was really making up for it and, you know, his the call for the ethics, you know, commission, which, by the way, is a part of the move, in my opinion, because you should be calling the ethics uh, commission for your own president, right, as well right. as for in the House of Representatives, like Jackie Spear, our amazing congresswoman who came out yes, or yesterday or two days ago and said that she had been sexually harassed. We need to be launching an investigation there. You should not be allowing role, we should not be allowing more to potentially get elected to the Senate. Mm. With Al Franken, you know, I think you know it's different. Um, like Sarah said, with out here in Hollywood, people are losing their jobs. People's shows are being pulled. Their lives are being destroyed. Much like how these women or or men, um, in regards to the other cases, because this is an intersectional issue, you know, um, their careers are, are done with. And I'm sorry, but if you know Al Franken, I mean that that photo alone, yeah, like yeah, I I have a very steady like poker face, and that photo like I cracked, and I was like I I was a I'm appalled. If he resigns because someone looked this up and someone was like, I, I feel shitty that this is the first thing I did, but there's a Demo- there there's a Democratic governor in Minnesota. So if he was to resign, the Democratic governor would clearly appoint another Democrat. Like so God, yeah. So like all the people saying, Well, you know, we need all the we need all the Democrats in the Senate, like we'd have another Democrat in the Senate. <laughs> I, I actually think it's more like, because I, I, without getting into criminal justice reform or anything, like, I I believe in trying to, for, I believe in people being able to apologize for yeah, something they've done wrong. and being able, yeah. But that doesn't mean you get to go back to being a senator. It right. means you go back to being a citizen and you do something else. But, like, just, like, I'm sure, like, in Hollywood, how many people are there waiting in the wings to get that acting job that Kevin Spacey has? who are great actors who just didn't get as lucky as he did or whatever twist of fate made Kevin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, those people deserve a chance now. He has to go to therapy. He has to go figure stuff out. He has to go. But, I mean, he has to do something. But, like, he doesn't get to do all those things and then come back to his place of prominence. Yeah. Like, that's, that's right? I mean, like, I, I think that's what it is. Like, great, I'm glad you're apologizing. I hope you'll get help. I hope you'll make a change. But also, you don't get to still be in your place of power. Exactly. And, you know, I think one of the, the one tweet that when uh, uh, Louis C.K. issue, mm. uh, the Louis C.K. stuff came out, that really stuck with me is, you know, you have these fans, and by the way, like, people that didn't know Louis C.K. was kind of, like, sketchy, like, yeah. this is very common knowledge. Like, people know he's sketchy. Yeah. And it's just like, it was just a matter of time until it came out, yeah. and it's really alarming. But the people on Twitter and social media were saying, like, and fans were like, oh, my God, I love him so much. Like, can I no longer watch his shows? Like, 
and then a tweet that went out saying, you know, I feel like we lost a generation of our greatest actors because of this, right? And then somebody clapped back and said, yeah, imagine all the women or other individuals that they kept down by a result of harassment or assaulting them. That could have been even better than that. Yeah, I love that. Sarah Silverman had released a video, and I don't know if it was today. I watched it today, but she essentially said what you just said or what that tweet said where she's like, he's my friend. And he did like he she didn't couch it. She didn't try to make excuses. She didn't she didn't even say allegedly. She said he masturbated in front of women. And some of these women left comedy. And like I watched that and I was like, oh, wow, like this is this is nice that someone who's close to him instead of trying to make excuses like. We'll just say Woody Allen tried to do that for Weinstein because Woody Allen isn't a place to try and do that. But she just said very frankly, like, this is what happened. And I'm trying to come to grips with, like, well, can I still love him knowing that he did these awful things? But what's more important than my feelings is the victims. Which I don't think enough people say that. Yeah. Sarah Silverman also, though, did that thing with blackface and then apologized. Yeah, I, <laughs> look, I don't know Sarah Silverman's entire history. I'm talking about one instance. No, I know. I'm just saying she's she's had her but share I didn't of apologies. Know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think what this has also brought out, and that isn't getting any media attention, is that these are all women in powerful places, or women who are coming out against powerful, visible men. What about all the women who are living on the marginalized side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Probably yeah. The middle class, you know, where's their voice? Because yeah. you can't come forward and have millions of dollars to fall back on or sue somebody who doesn't have a million dollars to give them. Not that that's why women are coming forward. It's not. They're coming forward because it's happening. But what about all the in-between? And I think I'm excited for this movement, but I also feel like it's missing a little bit of what what happens for people just being without all this power? Yeah. Yeah. So what do so what do we do for those women? If you look at the reporting done by the New York Times on the Weinstein issues as well, I mean the NDAs that these women were forced to sign. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they that you know they did it because if they knew it coming out against this individual was going, you know, it could, you know, ruin everything about themselves. So they were forced into signing these NDAs. And, you know, when the reporters came and tried to talk to them, they were so scared about breaking the NDAs. And, you know, they were giving, they gave a great interview um, on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, I believe today or yesterday, um, that really talked about how some women were like, screw it. You know what? Like, I don't care if I'm going to get sued for everything I work. This is too much. But even with, like, the New York Times and everything that's happened to Harvey Weinstein, I mean, he's still actively suing women, right? Yeah. yeah. He's still actively out there trying to ruin these people's lives. I mean, he's screwed, but he has a portfolio of real estate properties around the world. He'll be just fine. Yeah, I'm sure he has a really nice bank account, too. Yeah. <laughs> we're, not commenting on, we're not commenting on Ben Affleck, who has a movie coming out this weekend, right? I wonder why. We're not commenting on Casey Affleck, who won a freaking Oscar last year. Yeah. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. He said, you know, I don't care if this is going to destroy my career. Casey Affleck is, you know, completely scum, right? And, you know, it's just these, these systems that we think we're overcoming by this campaign are still intrinsically there because 
They are stopping um, any negative impacts from happening to the Justice League. They are allowing Casey Affleck to get another movie. They are allowing individuals like Roy Moore to have his lawyer come on television. Yeah. And, like, go line by yeah. line in this woman's yearbook and say, oh, this doesn't oh. I'm seven. Yeah. You know, it's disgusting. So these systems, as much as we think we're finally getting to them, they're, they're still... They're still there, and it's, you know, something has to crack. And, and also the thing that bothers me the most is that the biggest prize of all, Donald frickin' Trump, right? Yeah, yeah. nobody cares about that. Oh, He's probably still oh, suing those women. Those women, right? I believe those women. So Donald Trump is using, and his lawyers are using executive authority, executive privilege, to say that these women accusing him cannot accuse him because he is, like, the president, and to accuse the president of this, like, is some legal term, right? So they're trying to use the office of the presidency to silence these women, right? And it's, you know, it's, well, it's really reminiscent of, because we have to have, you know, if you want to have the conversation, we have to have the conversation about Bill Clinton. Yes. There are some things that we need to talk about there. But, you know, coincidentally, when you look at how all these accusers are coming out against Trump, is it being covered the way Bill Clinton was covered? No. No, why? why is <laughs> no. On that on that note, what are you, what are your goals as a chapter, you guys? Like, if you could do anything, affect any change, what would what what do you feel like is your? I mean, I'm sure you both you each have a different one, but there you know, there's so much on both the local and federal level that's happening. But even here in California, I mean, some of the you know legislation that were for women, a Democratic governor vetoed. What what? So it's like. Um, which ones were they, Jen? They were the... Yeah. The so, you know, the... I have uh, you know, was, was vetoed. Why? Like he thought that you know, he, uh, his his veto message was about legislation, and that he thought it would be opening up a lot of lawsuits. So. Oh, kind of feel like that's part of your job okay. as the governor. Corporations over women, essentially. <laughs> this is when I go team Church of Satan or Satan. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. The, Flying spaghetti monster. But no, it's no. There's a legit <laughs> Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple or huh. something. There, so some state in the middle, some uh-huh. red state, erected some monument to the Ten Commandments. And the the court ruled that it can stay there. And the Church of Satan was like, fine. And they erected a statue of Satan next to it. Because they were like, freedom, you're saying they can put that there, we can put that, huh. that. And they were, and there were lawsuits. And I don't know if they're still happening, but there are lawsuits essentially saying like, 
abortion is a sacrament, so you can't outlaw it because it's a religious practice. Like, oh, I feel like I read about they that. They are like major legislative trolls. Part. But this is where, like, I upset, like, my culturally Catholic roots when I'm like, yay, Team Satan. Like, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, if Satan's going to be the one to fight for my uterus, yeah. so be it. It's you bring up the pick-up battle. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel, though, like, um, you know, like all social movements, it's never linear. But that's why I was so happy with the election earlier this month. So many women being elected. I just think people in power, you know, they have so much power to be able to, to change my life in a positive way versus what what I feel is currently happening, happening which is we're curving or, or walking backwards on the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if I look at our chapter, you know, we've got such great talent and we have, we're so, we're all really specific activists and um, I really want to work locally and, you know, get more involved with our local high school clubs and groups and, and how we can get more young women connected to organizations and services that are all over here in Southern California to, you know, really get involved right away to, um, to really working on passing and sponsoring legislation at the state level and helping get, you know, responsible, empowered, you know, women or male, feminine, elected to public office that uphold our same values, both locally, statewide, nationally, or, you know, for statewide office. Um, and then I really, you know, I'm so honored because I think our chapter has um, a lot, we have a lot of appointed officials. So just on our chapter alone, um, you know, three or four members are appointed to local boards and commissions, not including myself, mind you. Um, so, you know, that and, you know, like Karen Ayers, our amazing, fearless interim vice president is the chair of the West Hollywood Women's Advisory Board. Amanda Bleich, who is an amazing, amazing member, is on the Women's Advisory Board, and she met the person that appointed her at our Women's First Three Month event. You know, yeah. we have all these other members. You know, man, my, one of my friends, Amanda Hyde, she's the vice chair of the Women's Advisory Board. You know, Sarah, she doesn't know it, but she's next. We're getting her on a commission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have time. I know. Kind of tonight. Like, I'm Sarah, are you running for office? Make your announcement right now on the pod. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not yet. Maybe, maybe in, a, in the future. You never know. Cool. So I think that, you know, I really want to work and do very tangible things. I don't want, you know, when we say we want to conquer rape culture, yeah, of course that's our goal as a chapter. We want to we wanna always topple the patriarchy. I mean, I go to bed every night saying, like, let's take down the patriarchy, right? <laughs>
together on this, then I think we're alone and we can't be alone at a time right now because we all need each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was such a nice... I nice felt... Sentiment. That's a high point. Yeah. To, yeah. I felt a lot in the past year that I just need a big group hug. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pajama party. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, so I really want to go meet up with the Madison now. I really want to like... I really want to take what we're doing here in Hollywood because we are in a we are in a bubble, right? We are, you know, we we focus on LGBTQ issues. A lot of groups may not, right? We're really intersectional with our trans brothers and sisters and advocating for them. You know, we have the upcoming. Um, you know, I think this is posting on Sunday, so the next day is Transgender Day of Remembrance. We're actively co-sponsoring that, and we're going to be there that day, marching in solidarity with them. Um, and you know, what we really try to focus on a multitude of issues. So, you know, I really want to get more connected with, you know, National Now, and I know we are, and I'm so excited for all the amazing things that we're doing there, um, and as well as other chapters, you know. I always feel like I'm on Twitter and I'm, like, following another chapter, right, there's so many, and I, I just want us to take over the world together. So, going <laughs> you know, back to what I, I said at the beginning, like, if I want my nieces to grow up thinking they can be president and not seeing some type of scum on the television telling mm. them they're less than anything, right? I want them to be president and I'm not going to settle for anything else, right? So that's my goal. And I want that for everyone, you know? And so I, I want to do it with our, our, our chapter, who's amazing. And I want to, you know, that's why I'm so glad we could all connect and, you know, and it's, you know, we're, we need to be in this for the long haul. Um, well, thank you guys so much. This was so great and people are going to love it. And I'm so interested and I wish we could talk to you more. So maybe we can do it another time too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We would love that. Awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys for coming on and, and have a good call and keep in touch, please. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll send you guys the link and everything so you can send it out when you're, when it's, uh, live. Awesome. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Okay, guys. Thanks. Thank you, too. Bye. Bye. So we've decided to subtitle 2017 as Men Are Trash. Um, The Senate and the House and all those assholes are writing their tax bill, which is awful for low-income people. But they threw into the tax bill um, something that will essentially repeal the individual mandate for the Affordable Care Act, where they'll just say the individual mandate, the penalty is $0, which means 13 million people automatically lose insurance because Mitch McConnell just likes to keep proving that he's kind of a dick. Um, is that rich people who lose insurance? Oh, no, it's going to be poor people. Oh, great. That's lower, what I was hoping for. So this is what's <laughs> going to happen. The lower income people are going to lose their insurance. The middle class is going to be taxed to high heavens. And if you own a corporation, you get a permanent tax cut. So this sounds like a great plan for everyone. Um, Call your senators. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I don't know. Men are trash. Just men are trash. (laughs) And help if if there's if there's anything if you don't want to march and you don't want to knock on doors and you don't want to do all if those aren't your thing like register people to vote yeah don't say anything about your affiliation don't say anything about any yeah. candidates volunteer with rock the vote or one of these things stand with a clipboard and make sure people are registered to vote yeah 
Because I think that's, I mean, didn't Virginia have record turnouts yes. for this past election? Yes. Like, they registered people to vote. And they knocked, they did knock on tons of doors. Jason yeah. Kander, I, I was listening to him talk, and he, I, can't, I forget how many doors they knocked on, but they've been knocking on doors forever. Like, I think in May, he, they realized that there was a voter suppression problem and a flippable situation in Virginia. So, mm-hmm. flippable, the actual group flippable was working there, but he... Like, just sent out, an, uh, like, a tweet to everyone who follows Let America Vote. And was like, hey, Virginia, like, we're going to need to get out and make sure people are registered, make sure that there's no, vo- like, that voter suppression is, you know, being handled, that that they know we're there and we know what they're trying to do and whatever. And he ended up with all these, like, young college kids who were like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll leave and come knock on doors. And they've been knocking on doors since, like, May. They knocked on doors all summer to let them yeah. know the election was coming. Yeah. And it made such a big difference. Crazy. Yeah. But, uh, no, and this uh, this tax thing is pretty awful for, like, everybody that's not super rich. Like, and yep. not even, I, I, got a, I got a primer from a small business owner um, that I happen to be related to that, you know, where they talk about, like, oh, the tax cuts are good for business, they're good for business, they're not, they're not good for LLCs, which well, is, like, 70% of business, like... did you see that, like, <laughs> that, like, forum that the Wall Street Journal had, where they asked, like, Gary Cohen's up on stage, and he's, like, it's, like, a room full of CEOs of huge companies, and he's, like, for instance, how many of you are going to take those dollars and oh, yeah, no invest one. them in... They didn't raise their hands. No one. No one raised their hands, and Gary Cohen has this weird moment where he's, like, uh, uh, like... Because no one raised their hand. And I was listening to him talk on, about it on NPR today. Yeah. And a guy from Centers for American Progress was like, well, that's very strange because the evidence shows that blah. And I'm like, I'm pretty it sure the strange. evidence is the actual guys in the room who didn't raise the, their hands. It's yeah. the theory versus the... Right. Like the, the economic theory is, yes, you give them tax cut. The trickle-down economic theory is you give them tax cuts. Right. And they'll trickle it down to their employees. But um, but really, they just reinvest so their stock price, their stock yeah, value. Yeah, they up. they don't put it back into like that's been the practice since they the got 1980s. rich somehow. They don't do that. <laughs> they like, got rich, <laughs> and they had what this was on NPR a few weeks ago. They had an economist, and they were asking her, and they're like, "Okay, so has the trickle down economic theory been proven or disproven?" And she goes, "Well, in theory, it would work if they actually did it." But they don't do it. Yeah. They're, it's like they save all the money and they keep it at the top. Nothing trickles down. Right. So, anyway. Yeah. And another update. We're all in the same room. Yay. <laughs> For the first time in months. <laughs> Woohoo. It's true. Um, These people are douchebags. Yeah, they are. Um, but I, yeah. But I, I guess we, I was thinking a lot about people wanting to do something and us saying like call and thank our representatives call and thank our senators call the people around us call the main number or whatever but you really could volunteer one day one saturday if everybody volunteered one saturday yeah to help register people to vote it would make a huge difference in everything judiciary yeah you know, judicial appointments all these things that we're not going to be able to change unless we flip the house in 2018 and now maybe the senate then, eventually, yeah. Come on, Thank Alabama. You. Come on, Alabama. Come on, Alabama. Did you see, did you see the Fox News poll tonight? Eight points yeah. up. It, not only eight points up, Barack Obama's favorables are higher than Trump's in Alabama right now. Yeah. It's so good. Did you see Trump freaking said, or 
I don't know, there's a TV on at work, and I just caught the a glimpse of what Sarah Huckabee Sanders was saying. If true, Roy Moore should step aside. I'm overhearing yeah. this, if true. You were also, if true, well, your awful. boss should step aside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how <coughs> ironic. Yeah, it, like, hurts, it hurts so much. Men are trash. Like, I can't. I can't. And Sarah just, I, I, I don't, I don't. And I'm tired of hearing not all men. Stop saying not all men. Yeah. No, we don't want to hear it anymore. No more. Get your boys. Yeah. If you want everyone to say that, then go get your boys. Tell them that it's, it. I mean, it's just all about power, right? It's all about yeah. power. And as soon as they're in power, they wield it in disgusting, demonstrably yeah. disgusting ways. And, like, I don't, we were talking earlier, like, do we think, like, you know, do we think every guy has done something inappropriate as far as, like, grabbing a woman or assaulting a woman? And my answer to that is no. I don't think ever... I think there are still guys out there who have not done that. Do I think there are guys out there who have sat silent while their friends have done shit like that or their friends have said stuff like that? No. I think every guy is guilty of letting their bros at one point or another just get away with it or laughing along. And we're done. Like we're done it's having over. we're done having any sympathy for you. And you know what? I've noticed it. Like guys who I love, who I won't name specifically, but who I know for a fact have never done it, never said it, never well, I guess I don't know that for a fact. I believe that they haven't. But I know for a fact that they've sat there and said nothing. And I see them starting to change. Like I see it yeah. starting to happen. And we were, I was just in Disney World with my friends, and I happened to be with two of the guys, not my husband, two of the guys <coughs> and me. And a family walked by pushing a shoulder with two little boys in it. Little boys, I'm talking two and four, wearing t-shirts that said, lock up your princesses. Oh my God. And I... Flames? Was flame at flames at the side of my head. <laughs> um, and I turned around and I was like oh it's not my girlfriends it's their husbands not that these are great guys yeah, but like yeah. you know that yeah. I wouldn't normally and I was like before I could even say anything they were both like can you believe those shirts <laughs> <laughs> why are we starting this rape culture stuff so early and I was like what what, what? what is that? I was well really done. excited and I and I do I'm not happy that any of this stuff happened but knowing that it does happen and that it has happened and that it will continue to happen I'm glad that men, at least some good men, are waking up to it. And I think it's their responsibility to wake up to it. I yeah. think it's their responsibility to wake their friends up to it. Yeah. And I think it's not it, the whole it's on us thing. I'm done. I, it's, I'm tired. It's right. <laughs> You're right. It is on you. Enjoy. Yeah. Do it. But there, And there was an article where the headline was like, men are now scared and they're being careful. Good. Am I supposed to feel... But why do you need to be afraid in order not to grope someone's tits? <laughs> why is that, Why is that like, I do, I do want to walk up to this woman who I haven't asked permission and I don't know and honk her boobies, but I'm afraid that I might get in trouble later and it might look bad and I won't be able to run for Senate, so I'm just going to hold myself back. Like, why is that even a fucking impulse? I don't get it. I don't... That's a... That's they're a, starting to... Have consequences. They yeah. don't know what that's like. But why is that an impulse in the first place? I guess because they weren't oh. taught. Don't ask me. They weren't so taught. 
And they don't pick up social cues where that's not exactly socially acceptable. Yeah. But, like, this article, like, the headline, like, was written in a way that, am I supposed to feel bad for them that they're scared? Yeah. Or that they need? I am don't I feel su- bad. Am I supposed Because I don't feel scared, or I don't feel bad. My gut reaction when I saw that was, thumbs up. Um, Fantastic. After, after being <laughs> called my entire life, anything I say, in any voice that's not a prim little whisper... Being called dramatic and ridiculous and I'm over fucking reacting. Yes. And now you're getting called out for physically assaulting people and you want me to feel bad for you because... Shut the fuck up. Fuck men. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Just really. Fuck them now. Um... We are going to talk to a man tonight. This seems really nice. This seems really nice and not like. And I'm married to a really nice man. I'm also married. But I also did text him, "fuck men" today. (laughs) I said he got after the Al Franken thing broke today because we're podcasting on Thursday when the Al fucking Franken thing broke. Jesus Christ. I literally texted my husband, men are trash. Yeah. And I know you know I don't mean you, but I'm also sick of not all men. He's yeah. like, no, I gotcha. <laughs> the, yeah. Like George Takei. Yeah. Which, I, I can't know. even talk about that one. I know. The whole, I don't recall that incident. Meanwhile, you're fucking bragging about it on Howard Stern last goddamn month. So anyway. Yeah. I didn't even go on the Howard Stern show. Howard Stern disgusts me. <laughs> me too. He's gross. It's like Weird Al, but sleazy Weird Al. Yes. <laughs> weird Al is classy. It. <laughs> it's just the hair. But yeah, no, we are talking to a, to a man tonight, and he does seem nice. He seems really nice and really committed to feminist issues. So, so. sorry, I said fuck men five times. <laughs> I mean, he might say it, too. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I want to ask him about it, so I'm excited to talk to him. I'm sure he has some things to say, especially since he's in California and the Hollywood stuff has been mm-hmm. going on. So, what do we have coming up? What do we have coming up? We do have stuff coming up. On uh, December 3rd, we have our reproductive justice panel. Um, we're going to be at the Montgomery County Council Office Building in Rockville from 4 to 6.30. Our panelists are going to talk about reproductive justice um, and giving some ways that we in the community can help protect reproductive freedom. Um, our panelists are Tony Van Pelt, who's the president of the National Organization for Women, Chelsea Yarbrough, who is the programs manager at NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland. And Sarah Love, who is the former legal director of NARAL Pro-Choice America and policy director for the ACLU of Maryland. It's going to be great. I'm really excited to talk to them. Yeah, and we'll release the audio from the panel as a podcast like we did last time. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited for this one. Me too. Um, and then in December, we'll be meeting amongst ourselves uh, to get ready for um, letting everybody know about our legislative agenda after the new year and some new um, activities, events, events, and some um, 
hopefully some outreach and volunteer opportunities that we're going to have coming up. I'm doing rec. I'm, I'm really hopefully excited. doing recon this week. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, and I just want to give a quick shout out to our friend Lorianne Sales. Yeah. She Woo! won. She Yay! won. And she won. And the- she's a she's a council member for City of Gaithersburg. Yeah, and she's the first black person ever elected to the Gaithersburg City Council. She's not the first black person to ever serve. The only one other one was a woman who she just beat. Um, that woman was appointed. So and I can't I couldn't believe that when I read that. I couldn't believe they never have elected a black person yeah, before. That's crazy. So and she and not only did they elect her, she came she, in for she Yeah. She came in yeah, yeah. stomped the other yes. people. I was trying to figure out how to say that without cursing. Thank Stomped. you. Stomped. <laughs> um, and she's going to be a guest on our podcast. Next week. Up, yeah. yeah. Or two weeks. So we'll talk to her more. And she's just fantastic. And she's yes. going to be great for Gaithersburg. So yay, Lorianne. Woo. Woo. And also a shout out to um, Jenny Rose because we had an awesome event last night. And even though EB2 hates games and trivia, <laughs> it was super fun. I hope we'll get to do another one because it was really fun and Jenny Rose worked really hard, and it was very well organized and really super fun. Lots of people commented yes. on how much fun it was. Thank yeah. you. It was very fun. <clears throat> I like fun. games, and I Well, yeah, yeah. I, had not, I have nothing to do with it. It's just me. I know. I know. So I'm <laughs> saying someone who didn't like games enjoyed it, and someone who does like games. I enjoyed your enjoyed it as well. your fun answers. My creative answers. That you were being supportive. Mm-hmm. Except for the one. You know which one. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I don't know which one. I wrote Paul Ryan with hearts all around it. Alright, you want to do Woman of the Week? Yes. Yeah. Who is our Woman of the, the Week? Woman, yeah, I don't know. I, I surprised you both. Yes, you did. Since we have Hollywood now in the pod, we're going with an yes. entertainment theme for this week's Woman of the Week. Uh, Josephine Baker... Singer, <laughs> singer, dancer, performer, civil rights activist, and World War II spy. Josephine Baker was born Frida Josephine McDonald in St. Louis in 1906. She began dancing and performing around town at a young age to help earn money for her family. She left home at age 15 to perform with a, black, a traveling black vaudeville troupe. She made her way to New York during the Harlem Renaissance and performed in several musicals there, along with other big-name stars of the day, including Ethel Waters. She became quite popular, which led to performance opportunities for her in Paris. The music, performances, art, literature, and black culture that were coming out of the Harlem Renaissance were quite popular in France. Multiple of the stars of the Harlem Renaissance moved to Paris to continue their art. While racism was still existent in France, it was somewhat less overt and hostile than it was in the United States, so it was a welcome change for some of the artists, including Josephine. She moved to Paris in 1925 to perform a show and was a hit with audiences, due in part to her onstage outfit. The outfit she wore on stage often left little to nothing to the imagination, and in her show, for which she moved to Paris for, she performed... A dance wearing a feather skirt and nothing else. Nice. She made a big impact in Paris. For a show in 1926, she wore her most famous outfit, a skirt made out of 16 rubber bananas and not much else. Her performance in the show skyrocketed her into a superstar and one of the highest paid performers of the day. There's a piece in Vogue, which we'll post on our website, 
that talks about how the banana skirt was Josephine's way of reclaiming the racist stereotype that black people are primitive. She moved back to the U.S. in 1936 to try to achieve the same level of success here that she did in France. She experienced a lot of the hostile racism and segregation of the day and decided to move back to France. During World War II and the Nazi occupation of France, she worked for the Red Cross and also to entertain troops. She also worked as a spy to help the French during the war. She passed on confidential messages using invisible ink written on her sheet music and in her underwear. For her work during the war, she received two of France's highest military honors. Josephine was a supporter of the civil rights movement in the U.S. She traveled back to the U.S. multiple times to participate in boycotts, demonstrations, and marches, including the 1963 March on Washington in which she spoke. The NAACP declared May 20th Josephine Baker Day. She adopted 12 children of different races and ethnicities. She called them her Rainbow Tribe, which I love, and mm -hmm. believed they were an example of how different groups of people could love and get along well with each other. I was uh, pulling mm -hmm. up pictures, and I found the picture of the feather skirt with nothing else. Mm -hmm. it's, Did you find the banana skirt? No, I didn't find the banana skirt. I... um. Uh, secret about me. I love Art Deco and everything like 1920s. Look at this dress I just found. And what is look going at on? That. And um, I love like her. Oh, she's gorgeous. And like the whole, I'm in love with her whole aesthetic here. Oh yeah, I found the banana skirt. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy our podcast, you should rate it five stars on iTunes. Um. This week, you can leave a rating. It says, Jenny Rose loves Josephine Baker. I do. I do. Um, and tweet at us to let us know you're listening. If you can create gifts, you should create a Josephine Baker gift for Jenny Rose. I do. I communicate 50% of the time through gifts. Yeah. Fun fact about me. That's true. <laughs> um, tweet at us at MCMDNow. We're on Facebook and Instagram, the same handle. Um, our website is mcmdnow.org, and you can join our chapter right on the website, mcmdnow.org slash join. So, join us. Do join that. us. Yeah, do, yeah. That's all I got. Me too. Bye. Bye. Bye.